Good morning, everyone. My name is Jordan, and I gotta, I'm one of the pastors here at eFree. It's so great to be with you all today. Welcome to everybody here in the auditorium. Welcome to everybody watching online. So glad you could join us today. So we are starting a new series called Whispers from the Manger, which I'm really excited about. And it's going to focus on the birth story of Jesus. Um, but we're going to focus on some of the, the minor characters in the birth story. So my guess is all of you have a birth story. Um, if you don't, I'd really like to meet you and talk about how that happened. Um, but my guess is you all have a birth story, whether it's an ordinary one of my mom went to the hospital, she had me, we came home, and that might be your birth story. But some of you have more elaborate ones of I was born on the side of the road, or I was born um, in the hospital parking lot, or I was born in a McDonald's, like whatever. You know, people have more elaborate birth stories. Jesus has an elaborate birth story. But there is a lot of people involved in his birth story. And a lot of times at Christmas, we focus on what I'm going to call the major characters. Now, these are real people that existed in real space and real time. If we had a time machine, we can go back in time and we could meet these people. We could talk to them. Um, but this is Mary and Joseph, Jesus. If we're not talking about those three, we're talking about angels and shepherds or wise men. Like this is um, the major characters we talk about a lot at Christmas. But there are these minor characters that, again, are real people that exist in a real space and a real time. Um, that we could go back and talk to you, but they appear for maybe a verse or two, or maybe they have a, a longer um, section, but it's not in the immediate story that we think about. And so we're going to look at these people, and what do they show us about who God is? Because they reveal something to us about God. And I'm really glad we're doing this, because Christmas, it offers us a tremendous opportunity to slow down and to really dwell on the wonder and the awe that God would send his son into the world. And that his son would come into the world, not as this mighty hero to start with, but instead he would come as a baby. He would become into the world weak and needy, dependent on others to care for him, unable to communicate, unable to feed himself, unable to walk. Like he was a baby. Like this is incredible that God would reduce himself to this or confine himself to this form is probably a better way to say it. Confine himself to this form. But oftentimes in the whirlwind of the Christmas season, I don't really dwell on that. I just run past all of that to my Christmas to-do list. And I, I'm a to-do list person, and so I try to knock those things off my list. And as I'm knocking them off, more things are coming on. And then it turns into Christmas Eve. And I have the blessing of getting to be involved in our Christmas Eve services. And so I get to hear the message three times. I get to hear the songs three times. I get to light the candles three times most of the time. And by the third time we're doing it, it finally begins to like get into my heart. The first service, second service, it kind of bounces off. I'm thinking about my to-do list. But by that third service, my to-do list is kind of to the side because we have reached the point of no return. And I just really get to dwell on what God has done for me. And it starts to seep in. And so I'm glad we're in this series because this is an opportunity for us to slow down now. And then my hope is as we come up with these big ideas from these different uh, minor characters, we would dwell on them throughout the week. We wouldn't just think about it for this, you know, 35 minutes when we're together, but we would put it someplace where we remind ourselves about it throughout the week that it could work in our hearts and work in our lives. So... Today's big idea 
that we see from Zechariah, we're gonna dig into who that is, is that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. So let me pray and then we will dig in. Father God, I thank you for all my friends here in the auditorium and watching online. God, would you please, would you please help us to have this conviction in our hearts that you keep your promises. God, for any of them that this has been a year that there's been pain and trial and trouble and there's been doubt related to whether you're gonna care for them, whether you're gonna be there for them. God, I pray that they would um, have this renewal of this trust and faith that you keep your promises. And God, I pray that you would help us to just know this and live it out and that there would just be this joy and conviction in our heart as we think about you uh, who is a promise keeper. God, would you please help me to be clear and concise this morning. Pray this in your son's name, amen. Okay, so I'm gonna tell you where we're headed and then I'll give you some background information while you're flipping there. So we're gonna go to Luke chapter one, verse five is where we're gonna start. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to open them to Luke. It's in the New Testament, so it's towards the back of your Bible. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you get to Matthew, Mark, go to the right, you'll find a Luke. If you get to John, Acts, Romans, you're too far to the right, go to the left and you will find Luke. Luke chapter one, verse five. So while you guys are turning there or opening them up in your smartphone, I wanna let you know some background information about the Israelites. So the Israelites are God's chosen people and God has made promises to them throughout um, their relationship with God. And they've been waiting for God to fulfill these promises that they believe is gonna keep them, but they're waiting for this moment when he's gonna fully um, fulfill them. So I just wanna give you three of them that they've been waiting on because they're important to today's message. So the first promise comes from Genesis 12.3 and it's like God is going to bless the entire world through Abraham's family. God is gonna bless the entire world through Abraham's family. So in Genesis 12.3, God comes to a man named Abraham and he says, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So he says, the people that bless you, I'm gonna bless them. The people that curse you, I'm gonna oppose them. And th but my goal is to be a God who blesses. I want to be a God who blesses and my goal is to bless all the families on the earth through your family. And so the nation of Israel has been waiting and longing for God to fulfill this when all the families are gonna be blessed through Abraham. Second promise God makes. God comes to a man named David, who's king in Israel, and God was going to put one of David's descendants on his throne for all of time. In 2 Samuel 7, 16, God comes to David and he says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. He says, what I, I want to do is I wanna take one of your descendants and I wanna put them on your throne and they are going to rule forever and ever and ever and ever. As they've been longing for this day when the son of David would come and sit on David's throne and they would reign and rule over the kingdom. Then there's the third promise. God was going to redeem his people from their sins. God was gonna redeem his people from their sins. In Isaiah 59, 20, says the redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord says that there's this redeemer and he's going to come to Zion, to Jerusalem, and he's gonna redeem God's people that have turned away from their sin and turned back towards God. He's gonna redeem and rescue them. 
So they'd been longing, waiting for this time the Redeemer was going to come to Jerusalem. So these are three of the promises. There's more, but these are three of the promises that God's people are waiting for and longing for God to fulfill when we meet Zechariah. So in Luke 1, verse 5, it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there's a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth, Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So we're introduced to Zechariah and we're told a lot about him. We're told, one, that he's serving during the reign of King Herod, who reigns over Judea. So this is the time period that he's in. We're also told that he is a priest, which means that he's from the tribe of Levi, which there's 12 tribes in Israel. One of them is the Levites, and they were all priests. We're also told that his wife is a descendant of Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest. And so she is also from this priestly line. We're told that both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So they didn't just follow some of them. They didn't follow most of them. They followed all of them. Now, we're, so that, just to be clear, that doesn't mean that they never sinned. It means that when they did sin, they dealt with it through the sacrificial system the way that Abraham, not Abraham, Moses had told them what they needed to do. And so they're righteous in God's eyes which is important because they were told that they don't have any kids. In this time period, if you didn't have kids, they would have assumed that you must have sinned some terrible way, that God is not thinking of you as righteous, that you were, blame, blame, you were not blameless, and so God is withholding kids from you as a punishment. And then we're also told that they were both very old. I don't know how old very old is, but I feel confident that it's old enough they couldn't have kids naturally anymore. That they couldn't do it before, but that window had, had left. So they're both very old. Verse eight. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So in the tribe of Levi, there's different groups of priests that serve at different times. When it's Zechariah's group's turn to go serve, they would cast lots, and lots are kind of like dice, and they would use that to decide who gets to go into the temple to burn the incense inside the temple. Zechariah is chosen. So he goes in to burn incense inside the temple, and while he's in there, there are people gathered around outside that are praying and worshiping. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing in the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord." He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Zechariah is in there and he's burning incense, and then boom, 
this angel appears, this supernatural flying being appears that he's never seen before, and he is terrified. And then the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. So the question is, what prayer? Is it the prayer that he was praying in that moment, or is it a different prayer? I could absolutely be wrong, but I think it's a different prayer. I don't think it's a prayer that he was praying in that moment. I think it's a prayer that he had been praying throughout his 20s, throughout his 30s, throughout his 40s, and even into his 50s. And it was this prayer of, God, would you give us a child? God, would you let Elizabeth conceive? God, would you hear our pleas? Would you answer us? Would you help us? God, we desperately want a baby. Would you give us a baby? I think this is the prayer that he's referring to because he says, right after he says, your prayer has been heard, he says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. So it's possible that Zechariah was still praying. He hadn't given up. Even though he and his wife are very old, he's going, there once was a man named Abraham and he had a wife named Sarah, and they were very old, and God gave them a son. And so maybe he's still praying and saying, would you make us like Abraham? Would you make us like Sarah? But my guess is that he's referring to the prayer that he'd been praying throughout his life, that he'd been wondering, God, do you hear? God, does this even matter? God, do you care about us? And here in his old age, this angel appears and says, God has heard your prayers. He heard him when you were 20. And he heard him when you were 30. And he heard him when you were 40. And he heard him when you were 50. And he was saying, wait. I have a plan for your son. He can't come yet. Wait. He's going to arrive, but not yet. Wait. So verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. So two things happen here. One is bad and one is good. So let's give Zechariah credit where credit is due. He just saw a terrifying angel and he says to the angel, I am old, but my wife is well along in years. That he is, even as he's terrified, he's still cool, calm, and collected about how he's gonna refer to his wife. Like we gotta give Zechariah some credit there. Because he could say, I'm very old and my wife is very old, but no, she's just well along in years. She just had it. You know, her 40th birthday again. Um, But then there's something that he does that's not great. And he doubts the angel and he doubts God. He says, how can I be sure of this? And what he's asking is, how can I know that God's gonna keep his promise to me? God just made me a promise that I'm going to have a son. And this is a promise that I've been longing for my entire life. But how can I know he's actually gonna keep his word? How do I know he's actually gonna keep his promise? And he's not just trying to toy with me and my wife. How do I know? And so he doubts. And so he's saying, would you give me proof? Would you give me a sign? Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. So the angel responds to him and he says, my name is Gabriel. I I stand in the presence of God. I listen to what he says and then I go and deliver messages to the people he sends me to. And because you chose to not believe his word when I delivered it to you, there's gonna be a consequence. 
You're gonna not be able to speak until all of everything that I'm telling you is come to pass. Now, if you're very familiar with Jesus' birth story, maybe you're going, what in the world? Because there's another gal named Mary, and the same angel Gabriel comes to her and says, hey Mary, you're going to give birth to a son, you're gonna get pregnant, you're gonna give birth to a son, you need to call him Jesus. And Mary's response is, well, how can this be? I'm a virgin, I've never been with a man. And then the angel gives her an answer. He says, well, the Holy Spirit's gonna enter into your life, he's gonna conceive Jesus in your womb. And she goes, well, why does she get an answer and Zechariah gets a consequence? Because the core of Mary's question is faith and curiosity, and the core of Zechariah's is doubt, and are you really gonna do, is God really gonna do what he claims? That Mary's going, can you help me with some logistics here? Because I have not done what's necessary to create a baby, and yet you're telling me there's a baby that's gonna show up here. Like, how is this working? Like, how are you gonna do this? And Zechariah is saying, I don't think God's gonna actually do what he said. How can you prove to me that he'll do it? And so this is why Zechariah gets this consequence of not being able to speak until John is born. So at this moment, we should talk some about, um, we need to make some important distinguish, I need to distinguish between a couple things. So one is we have to be really careful when we claim promises that God makes to us that they're actually to us. Because Zechariah received a promise that was specific to Zechariah that God is going to give him a son. And it can be really easy when we want something really bad to read the Bible and try to make it say what we want it to say. And so it can be easy for us to really want a son, really want a child, and then to read this and go, God's making this promise to me too. But God not actually make that promise to us. And then what happens is then that promise doesn't get fulfilled because God never made it and then we feel like God let us down. And God didn't keep his word to me. And so we need to distinguish between promises God made to other people and promises God made to us. But the second thing we need to distinguish is between promises that God made to us and promises we wish God made to us. Because it's really easy for us to put words in God's mouth when we really want him to say something to us. And it's really easy for us to make a promise on behalf of God to us from God that he never made. And unfortunately, this happens a lot. And I've read and heard a number of stories of people that grew up in church. And then the story goes something like this, that they have a loved one, someone they care deeply about. It might be a grandparent, maybe it's a parent, or a sibling, or a son or daughter, or a friend. They get sick. And they pray, and they pray. And at some point in that process, they feel like God made this promise to them that they were gonna get better. That God was gonna heal this family member but God never made that promise. They just put that promise on God. And then that family member doesn't get better. And then they walk away and they say, God failed me. God not, didn't keep his promises to me. He's not a promise keeper. And it's not that God didn't keep his promises, that God never made that promise. And so it's important that we distinguish between promises that God has made to us and promises that we can be included on in and then promises he either hasn't made or that we just want him to have made, but he didn't. And I experienced this in my own life. About eight years ago, my dad died from brain cancer. And after he died, I was really frustrated with God. And I kept trying to figure out why am I so mad at God in all of this? 
And one day I realized it was because I felt like God made a promise to me that if I did this, then God was going to do that. And so if I lived like Elizabeth and Zechariah and I was blameless in God's eyes and I was righteous and did what I needed to do and asked for forgiveness, then God was gonna keep all these bad things away from me and from my family. And I thought I did my part of the bargain, but he didn't do his part and so he broke his promise to me and so I was frustrated and I was angry. And as I was processing it more and more, I began to realize I either have to decide that God did not keep his promise to me, something the Bible says he never he never does. He always keeps his promise. He never breaks his promise. Or I have to say that I tried to force God to make a promise to me that he didn't make. And so I came to the realization that I tried to put words in God's mouth and I was mad that he didn't do what I told him to do on my behalf. And I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your year has been like or your decade or your life has been like. But maybe you're like me that you've been frustrated with God or angry with God because you feel like he was supposed to do something and you did your part and he hasn't. And so I I would ask you to go, did God really make that promise to you or did you just put those words in his mouth because you really wanted it to happen and I understand that. But it's not fair for us to hold God accountable for something that he never promised and he never said he would do. So we go on with the story. In verse 21, it says, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. So Zechariah comes out of the temple, but he'd been in there way longer than he was supposed to be. And so they're like, something has happened. Like God has just done something, which was a big deal because there's this period of silence where God was not interacting with Israel. So the last prophet speaks, and then after him, there's this period of silence. And then it seems like this is maybe one of the first moments where God speaks to his people again. And so they're like, something big has happened. And then Zechariah comes out and he can't speak. So he starts to do charades. And he's probably like, angel... My wife, pregnant, like trying to describe to them what's going on. And they're like, just, just spit it out. Like, tell us, Zechariah, what's going on? What's with all the hand waving? And he can't speak. And eventually his time of service ends and so he goes home and he sleeps with his wife and Elizabeth becomes pregnant. Now, she is past the point where the normal indicator of pregnancy is gone. So I don't know when she figures it out. I don't know if she starts to get morning sick. And she's like, is this morning sickness? I don't, want to, I don't want to dare to believe that this was what this is. Or maybe it's when she starts to show. Or maybe it's the first time that John moves in her belly. But you think for a moment about this couple that prayed and longed and waited and waited and waited. And now they are this elderly couple that he gets to feel John kick in her womb. And they get to rejoice that God heard their prayers, that God came through for them. Now I know this is hard because I know there's people in this room and probably watching online that you know the pain of infertility. You know the pain of crying out, God, would you give us a child again and again? And month after month, the answer is no. 
and this brokenness of God, there's something we long for and we're not receiving it. God, would you help? And feeling like God has turned his ears away from you, that he answers other people's prayers, but he won't answer yours. And I can't make a promise for you that your story will turn out like Zechariah's. But what I can promise is that God will not leave you or forsake you. And he has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He has not, cut, he has not closed his ears to you. But he says, I am with you. Even in this dark valley, I am with you. I am for you. And I don't know what God is doing, but I am confident God is doing something in the middle of your pain, in the middle of this trial, that he is going to use for good. And so, Elizabeth is pregnant. That God has kept his promise. And so that gives us our first uh, takeaway this morning. That Christmas is a time to remember that God keeps his promises. Christmas is a time to remember that God keeps his promises. And I'm so grateful this comes at the end of the year. Because throughout the year, we always have these trials and troubles that most of us have some point in the year where things are really difficult. And you begin to wonder, God, are you gonna be faithful to me? Are you faithful to other people but not to me? God, do you keep your promises to other people but not to me? And I love that the end of the year is Christmas where we get to sit here and we get to remember that God keeps his promises. That there is no bigger promise he could ever make than to send his son for us. And he does, he keeps it. And if he would keep that promise, which I think is probably the dip, most difficult of all the promises he's ever made to keep, he did it and he kept it. So that Jesus would come and to die in our place, like that is a massive promise and he keeps it. And so if he's gonna keep that promise, there is no promise that he wouldn't keep. And so I love at the end of the year, we get to be reminded that God is a promise keeper. So five months turns into nine months, Elizabeth gives birth to John, and then for whatever reason in this time period, people got together and they like, worked out what his name was gonna be. It wasn't just mom and dad decide. It was like, we're all gonna talk about this. And maybe you feel like that's how your family is, and so you keep the name secret, because like, if I tell the name, they're gonna be like, that's not our name. Do you change it to this? Um, maybe it's just me. But anyway, uh, they get together, because John has been born, and they're trying to name him, and they're wanting to name him Zechariah after his dad. And Zechariah's like, no, 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 no. So they give him something to write with. And he writes, his name is John. And then instantly he can begin speaking. And then we pick up in verse 67. So if you turn over a page or two, depending on how your Bible's laid out, we get this song, this prophecy, this poem, that Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to prophesy over Jesus and over the people of Israel, and over John. In verse 68, he says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. They've been longing for this redemption. There's longing to be forgiven of their sins. And now Zechariah is saying, he's here. The Redeemer, the one we've been waiting for, the Messiah, the Savior, he's here. Now, he hasn't been born quite yet. He's in Mary's womb, but he's here on earth, forming, being ready to be born. Verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, that this, this idea is he's raised up this place of strength, this king who's gonna sit on David's throne for all of time. 
says this king, the son of David we've been waiting for, longing for, he's arriving. He's about to be here. Verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. He says, we've been waiting as a people for God to fulfill this promise that he made to Abraham that he was gonna bless all of our families and all the other families on earth through Abraham. He says, this, this baby in Mary's womb that's about to be born, this Jesus, he is the fulfillment of this promise that he is going to bless all these families through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Through offering salvation to all who would turn to him, he's offering it to every family. And all of them are going to be blessed. Verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. He says that we are going to be God's set apart people to serve him with holiness and righteousness without fear, that we're gonna be made holy and righteous. This is what Jesus does. And so we have this Great hope, Zechariah is saying, because God is about to keep his promises. He is delivering on all the things that he's promised to us. And then from there, he pivots and he turns to John. He says, and you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. He says there is about to be this light that's gonna shine down from heaven on us because of God's tender, tender mercy. He's coming to rescue us, to save us, to point us in the path of peace. And so God keeps his promises. And so the second takeaway this morning is that Christmas is a time to renew our hope in God and to renew our faith in his promises. It's an opportunity to renew our hope in God and to renew our faith in his promises, that God keeps his promises. And because God keeps his promises, we can hope. Because when God says this is what's going to happen, we can hope and go, this is what's going to happen, that I'm gonna put my faith in there. And put my faith in God in the middle of all of this. Now, I love this because I love that Christmas comes at the end of the year. Because some of us have lost hope. Some of us are maybe coming to church because it's what we do, but there's this loss of hope that exists, and we need to renew our hope because God keeps his promises. God has not failed us, he's not abandoned us, he's not left us, but he's still working even in the valley of the shadow of death. He's shining a light on us through Jesus Christ. And so we can renew our hope in God and renew our faith in his promises over these next few weeks as we approach Christmas. So as we, as we close here with the remainder of my time, I wanna give you how those three promises I shared at the beginning, how we get to be in on those promises. So the, the first one was that God blessed the entire world through Abraham's family He's gonna bless the entire world and he does, blesses the entire world, including your family. He blesses all the families on earth, including yours. He does that by offering your family salvation. He doesn't withhold it from your family and give it to other people. He says, no, everybody is welcome to come. Everybody's welcome to receive this gift. 
He sends Jesus Christ into the world to rescue and redeem, and he offers it to every family. And so maybe over this past year, you felt like God has abandoned my family. This promise from Abraham reminds us that is not the case. God is for your family. The second promise he had made was God put one of David's ancestors on his throne for all of time. Jesus reigns today. That he said, I'm gonna put an ancestor, I'm gonna put a descendant, and he did it. And Jesus continues to reign today. And this is great news because there are moments in our life where it feels like our lives are spiraling out of control and it feels like no one's in control and we're in a lot of trouble. And when we're in that place, it is so good for us to stop and remind ourselves, no, Jesus is in control. Even if it seems bad, even if it seems dark, Jesus is in control. You think about Zechariah and Elizabeth through their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and maybe 70s or 80s, they feel like, God, are you really in control? God, are you really able to help? And that whole time God is saying, wait. Wait for what I'm doing. Wait for what I'm about to bring about. Because if John had been born when they were in their 20s, he would not be in the position he was in so that he could make way for Jesus. If he'd been born in their 30s or their 40s, he just wouldn't have been where he needed to be at that exact moment in time. So he was the exact person he needed to be at that exact time so that he could go into the wilderness and turn people's hearts back to God so they would be prepared for Jesus. And so God has this grand, great plan, and he's saying, I know this is hard, I know this is painful, I know this is difficult, but hold on, there is good coming. And so we can hold on to the fact that Jesus reigns today. Or the, the third promise, God redeems his people from their sins, he redeems us, including our sins, including yours, he redeems people from their sins, including yours. My guess is over the past year, there's at least one person, if not multiple, multiple people in this room that felt like I did something so terrible that God can't forgive me. I did something so dark or so bad that just God can't forgive this thing. He can forgive other things, but he can't forgive this thing. And this promise says that's not true. There is no one he can't redeem. There is no place he's not willing to go and to restore And so no matter what it is in your life, you feel like whether it's this year or years previous, there's something that you're carrying, this promise is for you. God rescues and God redeems and God restores. And Jesus comes to fulfill that through his life, death, and resurrection, he rescues and he redeems. So this is what I would ask of you. I would ask you to choose one of these three promises. Which one means the most to you right now? And to write it down on either a sticky note or a note card and put it someplace that you're gonna remember it over these weeks as we get towards Christmas. To be reminded that God keeps his promises so I can hold on to one of these promises. I can hold on to all of them, but I'm gonna focus on one of them. That I'm gonna hold on to this promise that God loves even my family. I'm gonna hold on to this promise that God is in control today. I'm gonna hold on to this promise that God redeems sins, even mine. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your love and your goodness. God, thank you that you keep your promises, that you are a promise keeper. God, would you please help us? Would you help us to hold on to your promises? Would you help us to believe them God, we are people that have a weak faith. 
And so doubt easily creeps in and as life gets hard, it's easy for us to wonder, God, have you forgotten about us? And God, for any of my friends that feel like you've forgotten about them, God, I pray right now they would hear your voice saying, I see you, I love you, I haven't forgotten you or forsaken you, but I'm near to you and I'm with you. And God, I pray that you would help them through this season, God, that you would remind them of these truths and they would come out on the other side with a deeper, stronger faith. God, would you please write these promises on our heart that we would build our lives on them because you are a faithful and a good God. God, we love you. We thank you for your son. We thank you that through him we see all the fulfillment of your promises. God, we pray that we would look to him and hold on to him as the keeper of your word. Pray this all in your son's name. Amen.